are Sports Beat Live today. It's Wednesday, September 9th, and I'm Blair Kirkhoff. The countdown to the Chiefs opener is one, and the Stars coverage team of Herbie Teope, Sam McDowell, Sam Mellinger, and Vahe Gregorian are here to talk about the Thursday night game against the Texans and about the 2020 season for the defending Super Bowl champion. We'll have some predictions for you at the end. So let's get right into it. Good to see you guys. Man, how about this? Day before the NFL opener, been waiting since, what, February 4th for, uh, for, for this game. I couldn't help driving down here today, uh, wearing my jacket, have the windshield wipers going, um, thinking – what you know? So I looked up the, on the Weather Channel what the temperature at kickoff is supposed to be tomorrow night, and somewhere around 58, 57 degrees. And I couldn't help but thinking what the temperature at kickoff was for the Chiefs in 2019 for the opener. Anybody remember that moment? I was in New Orleans. I don't remember. Well, let me refresh your memory. We were in Jacksonville. Jacksonville. Yeah, I remember that press box had the sun blasting in our, the <laughs> yeah. blasting our eyes most of the game. Couldn't sit there uh, before the game, really, right? We had to kind of move yeah. back. Yeah. I, I remember, Vahe, you and I going on the field to do one of these, uh, you know, live videos with Jill, Jill Toyashiba, our photographer, and we got about four minutes into it and her camera melted. So <laughs> it was it, – it, I looked it up. It was 97 degrees at kickoff and 115 degrees on the field. That Sounds was, awesome. <laughs> Sounds awesome. <laughs> Uh, so the alternative is probably one of the colder season openers that the Chiefs are going to play on, um, uh, you know, tomorrow night. So let's uh, before we get into the game, let's let's catch up on some news. This weekend obviously was a big weekend for the Chiefs with the uh, with the cuts down to the 53 man roster. And Herbie, take us through that and uh, and any surprises that uh, that uh, we saw with the cuts. One of them, of course, um, a, a pretty high draft pick from the Chiefs from two years ago. Yeah, and you're obviously talking about Breland Speaks. When you think about the, the Chiefs' 53-man roster, I, I think we we pretty much knew who was going to make this this team. Uh, but there were a lot of questions coming into this weekend or this past weekend about their second-round draft pick from a couple of years ago, defensive end Breland Speaks. They drafted him initially when they were in a 3-4. They switched to a 4-3 last year, which, of course, Speaks missed because of the knee injury. And they had a lot of catching up to do, and I think that was just too much for him to, to try to overcome as he was battling against guys like Taco Charlton, who, who the Chiefs liked. Uh, their Mike Dana, their uh, fifth-round draft pick, who they also liked, and it was just – it became a numbers game, and I think Speaks had just entirely too many obstacles to overcome, and, and the writing was on the wall that they were probably going to go a different direction, especially when Mellinger, Sam, and I were out there uh, during training camp. It, it was just – it became clear that he was buried on the death chart and he had a lot of things to overcome. Anybody else that, uh, that, that surprised you a little bit? Um, I, I don't know if I was terribly surprised, but it did leave the Chiefs with, what, 15 or 16 uh, newcomers for uh, this, this season? I mean, we, the, one of the themes coming out of the Super Bowl was look at how many, how many guys are coming back from the Super Bowl team, and there's, there's quite a few that weren't on the Super Bowl team uh, from last year. Sam Mack. Uh, you know what? I think the one of the best stories is Marcus Kemp. I mean, it was a guy that was probably going to make the team last year, tore his ACL in the, late in, the, in camp that cost him a roster spot, and he wasn't on the team when camp started. So for them to bring him in a week into training camp and he makes the team, 
um, mostly because of his production on special teams, but they could have just kept five wide receivers. They kept six this year. A lot of times last year they went with five. So I think he's a great story. And then obviously um, the Torshawn Wharton getting the kid from Missouri S&T onto the team, a guy that they scouted at the East-West game uh, in the offseason, that, that's obviously a great story too. Yeah. Where are we going to see him? Where, where, where is he going to – are we going to see him on special teams? Is he going to get some defensive snaps? Where are we going to see Wharton play? I think right now he's depth on for defensive tackle. Um, he played a lot of defensive end in college and defensive tackle, but I think they view him more as a defensive tackle. So um, I think right now it's depth, especially with that Mike Pinnell suspension. Yeah, the Pinnell suspension is just a two-gamer, right? It's uh, So right. we'll see what happens when Pinnell comes back. You know, going back to Speaks for a second, I look, you know, the, the 2018 draft class, uh, you know, the Chiefs only have three guys left. From, from that draft class. Um, and Derek Nottie is one of them. Dorian O'Daniel, the linebacker, and Armani Watts, the safety. And, you know, O'Daniel and Watts don't start. I'm just wondering, look, we gave Brett Veach a lot of praise uh, throughout this offseason, deservedly so. It's, it was a heck of a year offseason for the Chiefs. But you look back now at that 2018 draft class, not – Kind of not uh, uh, not the results that you'd want for a class that's only two years behind us, Sam. Yeah, but the uh, look at the draft classes on each side of that one. You know, yeah, um, yeah not not too shabby. <laughs> the one before they got uh, the quarterback, whose name I can't remember right now, and uh, oh. but the uh, and the 2019 draft class looks great too. McCole Hardman, Juan Thornhill, Colin Saunders, Rashad Fenton, Darwin Thompson, um, even even Allegretti. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, one thing that I will say about this, about with with Breland speaks, um, this is a weird thing to give a team credit for. But a lot of times, teams hold on to mistakes for too long, and and the Chiefs have not done this. Remember, it was uh, Kavari Russell, uh, the uh, third round pick, I believe. Um, in in was that 2016? Yeah, I think it was 2016. Um, they cut him almost right away. I just, it, again, it's a weird thing to give a team credit for, right? You drafted the wrong guy, so you, you deserve the criticism for that. But there, there are teams that will hold on to guys too long as well. Okay. Yeah, and you're right about the other draft classes. They, uh, the, the 2019 draft classes. Uh, you know, looks great. Yeah. yeah it, does. it looks terrific. And, and uh, of course, 17, that one will, will live in um, – in, in loving memory for, for Chief fans. Um, Blair, but it is kind of a funny quirk. I mean, that's that's Brett Beach's, officially Brett Beach's first draft class is the 2018 class, right? I mean, as much credit as he gets for uh, perhaps what went into the number 10 pick overall in, in 2017, um, it's just kind of a almost a, you know, oddity of Brett's, Brett's record that, that that's on the ledger that way. Yeah. Are, are, we, get, are we getting a glimpse of Mellinger's parenting? <laughs> yeah. I will give him credit. He was looking for a football card. <laughs> he came in here. So I'm not going to be mad. <laughs> Which one? I mean, was it a good one or? Uh... Basically any card. He's four. He, he doesn't know the difference. He just, uh, he just wanted a card. Aren't they just all Bo Jackson cards in your house? <laughs> yeah. That's how we start them off. <laughs> well, there's some more news uh, outside the piece, but in the division, how about, the Vaughn Miller injury yesterday, yeah. um, ankle injury. He is out for the season. Second, second big injury in the conference uh, so far this season with um, uh, Derwin James, the Charger safety, also out for the season. I don't know. We're going to get into um, looking ahead to uh, this, this Chiefs team and the expectations within the division and the 
uh, and for the AFC and um, beyond. But, <laughs> you know, I guess we, the, the best way to maybe frame this is the Chiefs have been pretty fortunate so far with not having a player injured, So you know, in, in training camp and, of course, no preseason games. But, man, what, what a tough deal for, for the Broncos and the Chargers. When you look around the NFL and you look at NFL teams, you always identify players that a team cannot afford to lose. And Von Miller, the, the elite pass rusher, is absolutely one of them. And what he means to that defense. They had Chubb, who missed all of last year, also with a knee injury. They were bringing him back. And they had high hopes that they could finally pair Von Miller and Chubb on the defensive end or outside linebacker spots there for them. And, you know, that would have been a, a, a pretty potent pass rush. But now Chubb coming back and now Von Miller goes out, and you're, you're correct. And you hate to see that, not just for the Broncos, but also what Von Miller means for the league because he's one of the faces. Sure is. So, um, hey, look, taking your questions, please let us know what you're thinking. We'll try to get to as many as we can. Let's start with one from, uh, from Terrence Warnell Robinson, who – says he knows that uh, Jody Fortune received a lot of praise in training camp, but what about Hakeem Butler? Do you guys believe that the Chiefs might be interested in his body type because that, they don't have that on the roster now? I remember Butler at Iowa State, um, you know, big body wide receiver. What, t- t- hey, Herbie, just take us through the, for- the decision uh, with Fortune. What do you think was – it seemed like he, w- he had an outside chance of, uh, of making it this year. Yeah, he absolutely had an outside chance. If, if you go specifically on, on just the ability to make plays and the ability to make tough catches – but, again, it boils down to – and Sam hit the nail on the head there with Marcus Kemp. It boils down to special teams. There was no way in the world Fortune was going to get more playing time over Tyreek Hill, Demarcus Robinson, Sammy Watkins, and McCole Harbin. There was just absolutely no way. Byron Pringle is unknown. The guy can play gunner. He's one of the top gunners on the Chiefs special teams. And, and so where do you put him? And it came down to special teams, and Fortune just – can't overcome that right now. He's still a young player, so, you know, he can still grow and develop. But that fifth and sixth wide receiver position has to be able to contribute on special teams, and I think that's pretty much what what sealed Fortson's fate. Okay. All right, look, the Chiefs are they're the favorite to repeat. Every, every when, the, when the Chiefs aren't favored by someone that we, we, we find on, on social media or some website, we're kind of surprised, right? The Chiefs really picking against the Chiefs. Uh, Chiefs are, um, you know, all the key players back from, you know, from a terrific team. Um, but there has to be concerns, right? There's got to be some areas of, of concern for the Chiefs. Let's go around the table and, and identify what those concerns might be. What, you know, if something goes wrong for the Chiefs, especially early on, what do you think that could be? Vahe, let's, let's start with you. Well, I, I hate to overstate the obvious, but that's kind of what I do. I mean, you don't want to see Patrick Mahomes get hurt. Um, that's a concern. I, I think uh, it's it's always out there, right? Um, and we saw early last season how uh, devastating that appeared to be. Um, luckily, he can just regenerate limbs, so every, everything will work out okay, but it, it still is on your mind. Um, you know, I, I know at least until uh, Ashad Breland's back, um, they're a little thin at corner, at least in terms of what, what we've come to – see out of them. So I, I think you might wonder about how that's going to be. And um, I, I think no matter what, I, I hate to echo a general manager, but you always do worry about depth, no matter how, how deep you appear to be uh, across the board. So those are just some of my uh, uh, little thoughts on that. Okay. Um, Sam McDowell, what do you think? Thanks, thanks for taking them all by. 
Um, I th- to me, it, it's got to be cornerback. I mean, these first this first month, you're probably going to be starting a fourth round rookie at cornerback, and even the best cornerbacks, I think, struggle some in their rookie year, especially in the first couple of weeks. And Thursday night in particular, this is a bad matchup because the the Texans, you know, there's a lot of talk about them losing DeAndre Hopkins, right? But they still have four very capable wide receivers. And when you look at it, I, I'm not exactly sure who plays the slot in those dime packages, whether they have to bring down Tyron Matthew and then you lose something on the back end because of that. And you're probably going to be playing Legereus Sneed on the outside. And, and like I said, he's a fourth-round rookie. I, I, obviously, they like Legereus Sneed, but he's never played an NFL snap, didn't even get a preseason snap. So for me, that that obviously is, is, is the top concern right now. How, how about this stat? Um, Deshaun Watson has started, what, three games against the Chiefs, two in the regular season, and one of the playoffs. Average scores uh, for Chiefs-Texans in those games has been 39-32. So these guys just play high-scoring games. You remember that game that the first time Watson played against the Chiefs? It was down in Houston. The Chiefs had a big lead, and and and, and Watson come, you know, comes up with five touchdown passes in that game, and it was just remarkable. You know, Mahomes obviously was – was not playing for the Chiefs. It was on the bench, right? But and the Chiefs won, you know, scored 42, and the Chiefs have won two of those three games. But whenever the Chiefs and Texans play, there is a lot of offense. In fact, the Texans, 472 yards, total yards against the Chiefs in the regular season game last season was the most against the Chiefs all year. And then the Texans had the most total yards uh, of the three against the Chiefs in three playoff games. So, yes, the, um, the Texans know how to move the ball against everybody, but especially the Chiefs. So, um, Herbie, you, you down with the, uh, the cornerback uh, idea? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And to your point on Deshaun Watson, the two games that they played against the Chiefs last year to combined 668 yards passing, three touchdowns, almost 80 yards rushing, and an additional three touchdowns. Two of them came against uh, the Chiefs in the regular season game. So he can hurt the Chiefs. But I think, you know, Vahe and, and – McDowell there, they, they nailed it with the cornerback position. Coming into training camp, to me, the two biggest question marks were who was going to line up at the guard positions and the cornerback because, you know, we we, knew, we heard grumblings that Breland was going to be suspended for the first four games, and now it's official. You, you look at their schedule right now. you got the Texans, the Chargers, the Ravens, and the Patriots, and you've got some pretty potent passing games in that mix there. And, and how they do – that right cornerback position opposite Ward it will go a long way in, in how they will start off fast. I think what you know what's not going to surprise me one bit is if they start off with Rashad Fenton and Ward in the base 4-3, and then when they go into the nickel package, Fenton slides inside against the slot. Now you have your choice between Legereus Sneed and potentially Antonio Hamilton on the outside there. But cornerback is the biggest question mark. Okay, so you've taken off and you've taken guard off the board because of Osemele and uh, Andrew Wiley. Yeah, and I think because the Semele gives him that veteran presence. He's a two-time All-Pro or former All-Pro, and he's a plug-and-play kind of option. Wiley, they've talked him up throughout training camp, and he's a former starter himself. And the reason why he lost his starting job last year was late in the year he was battling a knee injury, and Stefan Wisniewski was able to step in, and, and the Chiefs wanted to go with experience throughout the postseason. Wiley is a guy who knows the system, so I'm not really too concerned now with what they have in place. Hey, Melly, is it possible they actually upgraded a guard with Osemele? I want to see it. Um, I, I think it's possible. I mean, they've had some problems in the interior of their offensive line uh, for a few years now. And you, and you see that show up on fourth and short, third and short, when they try to run the ball, especially run it up the middle. Uh, but the, the other thing, you guys have hit on cornerback, and that's the biggest 
I think that, you know, there's a, there's a gap between their next biggest problem. Um, but they haven't stopped the run in like three or four years. And um, I, I keep waiting for a team and some have gotten close. I thought the 49ers were going to do it in the Super Bowl, And then they kind of went a different direction for whatever reason, but I'm still waiting for a team to just run it 35 times. And just, you know, if you can stop it, good for you. Uh, but this is a way that, that, that the, that the chief's opponent, can gain yardage and keep Patrick Mahomes on the bench. Look, I, I know like run defense is not the, the the biggest thing in the NFL these days, right? Uh, you know, it's more important to be able to stop the pass. But uh, I, I do think that that's it's it's a hole that remains to be you know exploited, or at least a, I'm waiting for a team to try it more than more than they have so far. Carlos Hyde had his moments against the Chiefs last year. Yeah, um, David yeah. Johnson, of course, is that is that guy this year? Um, no takers for the punter. Um, New punter this year, Tommy Townsend. Not that I see. We just talked about how prolific the scoring is in these games uh, between the Texans and the Chiefs. I don't know if we'll see him on the field as a punter, but how about you know for someone like him, for Clyde Edwards-Alaire, for you know Willie Gay Jr. playing in their first NFL game on a what might be a wet field, a cold field. Um, all three of those players that I just mentioned are from the SEC. Probably don't play in environments like. Um, I can assure you they haven't played in environments like they're going to play in on um, Thursday night. NFL debuts, colder, you know, not not seventy five or hundred thousand people in the stands like they're used to, but but seventy five. I, I kind of I'm kind of looking at that too. What uh, uh, how how the new players, the rookies especially, are going to react to to the environment? Hey, so Jack Hilliard wants to know. You know, we just talked about the concerns, but where are the Chiefs improved? Um, where might they be better this year? I'll throw it open to anybody. Where might the Chiefs be better this season? Running well, I, back. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Melly. No, I was just going to say, you look at the first two picks in the draft. And, yeah, I mean, they somehow they improved offensively, um, as crazy as that is. I mean, if you think about what they were for all 19 games last season, they, they didn't get much out of running back until Damian Williams emerged later. And, and Edwards Hilaire is a clear upgrade. I, I keep saying this, man. He, he's going to be an absolute star. And, and Willie Gay Jr. Is a, is a terrific fit for what they needed on defense. Uh, they, they got exploited, uh, you know, by teams throwing to, to backs out, of, you know, in, in the passing game, design passes specifically. I'm thinking of the Packers game um, very heavily there. And, and I think Willie Gay Jr. Can, can help solve that problem. I love the Edwards Alaire pick simply because of his versatility and what yeah. he can do in this offense. When you look back at Andy Reid's time in Philadelphia, he got the most out of this offense when he had versatile dual threat running backs like your Brian Westbrook, LaShawn McCoy in his prime. When he first got here in 2013, he had Jamal Charles who could run it and catch it out of the backfield. Now you have a dynamic weapon like Edwards Alaire who comes from, to me, the best football conference in college, the SEC, where to me, it's, that's pretty much like the NFL farm leagues. And then for him to put up the numbers that he did there and leading them to the national championship, now you add another shiny new toy to Andy Reid's offense, they're going to figure out a way to get the ball in his hands in space. I, I love that pick. I I see those those points, and I know uh, Sam McDowell has uh, been focused. I think Sam McDowell's focused on uh, McCole Hardman. I think he's going to be a, a different kind of guy this year. I, I he, There was – some just some great bursts were some great bursts with him last year, but really I thought kind of inconsistent overall. And part of that was trying to develop trust with Patrick Mahomes and and things like that. I think we had a few different times where uh, Patrick uh, might be seen or heard telling him to keep running, et cetera. 
So I think between that and the upgrade with Edwards Alaire, somehow the offense is going to be, I think, more problematic for a lot of teams, even as they try to adjust and develop a book on the Chiefs. And look, just one quick thing about the defense. Um, despite what we're saying about uh, cornerback, I mean, think about where they were a year ago going into the season and where they finished the season. I, I think they will start off uh, much closer to the, the defense that they were um, pretty stout in the last month or so and through the playoffs in a lot of ways, uh, as opposed to what what was really uh, a lot of flux early last season with new schemes and coordinators and so much new personnel. Well, what about, you know, if, if Hardman's numbers improve this year and Edward Tillaire becomes the weapon that we think he can be, whose numbers get reduced? Um, where do they come out of? Do they come out of Tyree Hill's production, Travis Kelsey's, where, um, Sammy Watkins, where do, whose numbers uh, recede a little bit this year, Sam? Snaps wise, I think Demarcus Robinson. I mean, Demarcus Robinson had I think 750 snaps last year. McCall Hardman had about 450. I, I think that gap uh, narrows this year. Uh, McCall Hardman, though, and Vahe made a good point on him because I do expect him to to take a step forward. When you look at his rookie year, it was remarkably similar numbers wise to the rookie year that Tyree Kill had. And there was a question after Tyree Kill's rookie year was, can he become a full-time receiver? You know, they used him in the backfield. It was, it was kind of a gimmicky sort of player. And he improved his route running, he improved his, his cuts at the top of routes. Um, and that's what McCole Hardman has to do. I think there was a little bit too much bend in his routes when you rewatch the tape on his rookie year. Obviously, he's got incredible straight line speed, but he's got to develop those short and intermediate routes to get on the field more often. And that's what he said he worked on in the offseason. So we'll, we'll see it in the game on Thursday, exactly how much improvement there's been there. To that point on McCool Hardman, I think there's a reason why the Chiefs probably want to also get him more involved in this scheme. you got to remember, Sammy Watkins and Demarcus Robinson are in contract years. So you, you got to know what Hardman can do. That helps the decision process if you want to bring Watkins and, and Robinson back at the end of the year. So this is a good year for Harden. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Hey, it's Blair. We have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners, unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Stars award-winning sports coverage. Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns presented on the kansascity.com site. And it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. Your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at 50 bucks, unless you tell us to cancel. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star, and that support has never been more important. Please visit KansasCity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. We're going back to Willie Gay. What what kind of role do you see for him this year? We know we know from talking to Dave Tobe, he's going to be a, used a lot on special teams. 
Yeah, he's absolutely going to get used to special teams. But as far as the defense, here we go with I would not be surprised. Uh, because the, you got to remember the depth chart is unofficial. But when they're in a 4-3 base, I, I think it's pretty clear it's going to be Anthony Hitchens, Damian Wilson, and Ben Neiman. And because that's the way they've lined up throughout training camp whenever they were in 4-3 base. It was always those three linebackers. So it, it, and it makes perfect sense to do this because, you know, I, I think it was Melly who brought up the point earlier or excuse me, it was Vahe about adjusting to the scheme. Gay didn't have the benefit of OTAs, uh, rookie minicamp, the mandatory minicamp before training camp. He had to hit training camp. He hit the ground running. And if Spagnuolo's scheme took the Chiefs that long to ease into it and get used to it by midseason, and they had training camp last year, you, you can't expect Gay to, 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 to all of a sudden just toss him into the fire. It makes perfect sense for Neiman to start off. Okay, let's talk about a couple of things that are sort of outside the, the competition, and that is uh, Chiefs, one of a, just a few teams in the NFL that are allowing fans into the stadium, and but only up to like 16,000 or so. Um, Jeremy Barnes, uh, your, your question is uh, comes right on time. Do you think the lack of a crowd will have an effect on player excitement and energy on the field, and how might that affect their performance? I, I just wonder, um, you know, I think – Opposing quarterbacks aren't going to be hurt by, you know, by noise. And so I don't think snap counts will be disrupted, that sort of thing. But what kind of impact can basically playing in front of a, you know, college spring game crowd in terms of noise and attendance have on, um, you know, on this game? Throw it open to anybody. You know, it's a really interesting question. And and I'm going to try to throw it right over to Sam Mellinger after this, just because, Sam, you had some semi-direct experience with this at that at that sporting game um on one hand i wonder if it might put some of the younger players more at ease in a way i i i i'm not sure about that though because obviously you still know it's national television audience the nfl opener um a lot to play for uh but it's just not going to look and feel the same um and what I don't quite know yet, and maybe you guys do, is to what degree this mix is going to get um, some piped-in effects uh, similar to what we're going to what we've seen in baseball, for instance, which is you know at least to the uh, viewer at home is is um, you know at least sounds like what what it might normally sound like. I think we're going to hear a lot more of the effects watching on TV than we normally would, but I don't know what that's going to feel like on the field. So. I, I really am curious, Sam Mellinger. I mean, how you how you feel about what you saw at Sporting and how much that will translate to this? Do you think? Yeah, I, I think I've mentioned on this fine program um, and other places. Like, I, I was blown away by how much I was moved by twenty three hundred or whatever it was fans at, at that Sporting game. Um, I, I did not realize how much I missed hearing spontaneous crowd noise. Um, it literally, the, the hairs on my arm stood up. It was, it was an incredible thing. Uh, look like we, we've all followed sports a long time and we've heard athletes and coaches talk a lot about, you know, the involvement of the crowd and the effect that has on the game. Uh, unless that's all BS, there has to be some effect now, right? Uh, between 75,000 and what is it? 16,300, um, or whatever it's going to be. But I wonder, I do wonder. I mean, these are professional athletes, and especially with these two teams that are going to be playing on Thursday, um, you know, these guys have high-level ambitions, high-level aspirations beyond just beyond just this game. And and my assumption—I don't know this for sure—but my assumption would be that those guys can find another place to go to get that. 
and whatever whatever process they go through internally, I would assume that they can be able to fill that gap. The biggest difference I would think is just sort of um, theatrical, if, if I can use that word of just, um, it will feel different in the stadium. I mean, the, the, one of the coolest things Kansas City has to offer is is Arrowhead Stadium filled with 75,000 people screaming out of a out of a commercial break and it's third down and you know either Patrick Mahomes is 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 you know going into the huddle or Chris Jones is dancing at the line of scrimmage one of those things and you're not necessarily going to have that um, I, I just wonder if like the fan experience will be diminished a little bit but I, at least for this game I would assume that there'll be as much energy and focus from the players uh, as there would be you know in a normal year what kind of uh, pregame demonstration or protest might, might we see from uh, from the Chiefs and or the Texans? Actually, I think it will be some kind of combined effort, I suspect. Uh, first of all, do you think that's true, and what, what form might it take? I would yeah, assume I mean, there will be. Yeah, um, Deshaun Watson was in that video, wasn't he, the, the Black Lives yeah. Matter video? Yeah. With yeah. um, with Patrick Mahomes and, and Tyron Matthew, yeah. I would assume there'll be something, um, whether that's in the locker room for the anthem or whether it's kneeling. But I would expect it to be like sort of collective, as well. Um, you know, Major League Baseball, um, you know, they had the first crack at this in some ways, right? And and there was you know the black fabric, um, you know, that all the players knelt with and and while they played a Black Lives Matter video, uh, maybe they do that and then everybody stands for the anthem. I don't know, but I, I would expect there to be something. Um, and I would expect it to be collective rather than, you know, sort of individual. Yeah, Tyron Matthew basically mentioned uh, last week, or was it this week, I guess, that um, the two teams have been talking. And Bill O'Brien on Monday in his teleconference that the Kansas City media was allowed on said he thinks it'll be some sort of connected effort between the two teams out there. I, they've talked about it so much, I would be shocked if there's nothing done. And I, I certainly feel like that's been the message from the, at least just from the chief side all along, right? We keep hearing um, even even little hints with things Andy Reid has said, or, or uh, to some degree things Clark Hunt said. That, that, that the suggestion seems to be they will do something as one. What I would hope, because um, we're over here talking about protests and potential kneeling, and I hope the focus isn't on the protest, the silent protest, or the kneeling itself, it, the, the, the focus needs to remain on the issues that's prompting these protests. And I, and I hope that like the athletes get that through and whatever the broadcast says about it, they cannot lose the message. There's a reason why they're doing it. And that's the key thing. Pat, Patrick, among others, has done a good job, I think, articulating that point. And I think it's uh, it's paramount, Herbie. I'm glad you I'm glad you said it the way you did. Okay, hey, a couple of quick points. Um, uh, will Juan Thornhill play tomorrow night? I believe he will, right? Yeah, he practiced fully these last two days, and I like how the Chiefs worked him in when he came off the physically unable to perform list. They, they worked him in slowly. They started him off on seven-on-seven seven drills during training camp, and then he went to nine-on-seven, and then the final day he was on 11-on-11, 11 11. and that's the perfect way to do it. And, and short of a, a, a setback here, he should be full go for Thursday night. Okay, good to know. And um, one of the great uh, national media presence in the country when it comes to pro football, Therese Paler says hello to everybody. So, Therese! Therese! Hello, buddy. Boy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, we've come to the portion of the show that um, that is endorsed by Candy Corn. 
Um, <laughs> a, a treat uh, approved by 20% of this panel. So um, <laughs> the, um, the, we got a couple of candy corn questions for you today. The, um, the first one is, I'll tell you what, guys, uh, just seeing the NFL on TV Thursday, opening, opening game for the opening weekend, I cannot wait to, to just to watch it, to see it. And we have had, we've had baseball, we've had soccer, we've had the NBA and the NHL. We've, sports have been back, right? Um, I, just, I think the audience, the TV audience is going to be huge. And really, I, I find now is the time to sort of put away the, uh, the binge watching that I've done over the spring and summer during the COVID. And um, I, I did catch up on some shows that I've always thought, you know, if I ever have time, I'm going to sit down and watch. And I watched a couple of them. So I want to ask you guys, if you've done any binge watching this summer, uh, what did you like? And do you have any recommendations? And to people who are chiming in with questions, I wouldn't mind hearing from you guys as well. What were your favorite summer binge watching shows? So let's start with you, Vahe. Blair, first, thanks for confirming that it's older folks like you and me that just call it the COVID. Um, <laughs> uh, right now, this might have been a Kirkhoff recommendation. I'd seen it uh, a little bit here and there before, but we are way knee deep in uh, Veep. We're uh, about into season six, and uh, it is so funny, so vulgar. I really couldn't recommend it for everybody, um, but it's pretty funny. And before that, uh, we watched uh, S-C-H-I-T-T apostrophe S Creek. Um, and that was another Kirkhoff recommendation. Uh, also, Fleabag, The Wire, and Watchmen. <laughs> I, would, I would recommend. Wow. I would recommend <laughs> did, did you do anything else? <laughs> every, every single night uh, with, with no sports going on at night other than uh, some Royals nights. <laughs> <laughs> that's been that's been about four months worth now. I don't want to make it sound like it's just the last week or two. Yeah, the Royals have definitely changed my viewing habits. How about you, Sam McDowell? You know what? We I would love to see our viewers' comments on this because I feel like we struggled to find something to actually latch on to. So um, I, I watched Billions and finally caught up on that. Um, Succession on HBO is fantastic, but that's only had two seasons. So I don't like watching things as they come out. I'd rather watch it after the show's all over so I can completely catch up on it. Um, so there hasn't, I feel like all those top shows, The Wire's fantastic, Breaking Bad's fantastic, but I've seen all those multiple times. So like I said, I, I'm interested in the viewers' comments on this because I'd, I'd love to get some suggestions. Well, one that's come in is uh, Watchmen. I've heard of it, haven't seen it. Uh, we'll have to check it out. Well, I assume Vahe has. I mean, what, what hasn't he seen during this quarantine? <laughs> I did. He did see it. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it, was, it was terrific. It really was. Uh, jarring and, and interesting all at once. Right. All right, Herbie, I know you'll have some answer that will surprise us all. No, not really. I, for me, it was uh, because I refuse to believe how Game of Thrones ended, so I like to remember what it was like. So every, I do this every summer. I will always binge watch the Game of Thrones seasons one through seven now, and that's it. And I'll, I'll just continue watching it because I always like to remember what it was. And then Peacock, uh, the Peacock app through NBC, uh, Poker After Dark. I, I didn't realize they were, sh they were showing all the old Poker After Dark stuff, so every now and then before I go to sleep, pop the phone up and – Pop the app on, and I'll just watch Poker After Dark and then go to sleep. 
Herbie watched Herbie watched Rounders thirty eight times. <laughs> yes, I did. Yes, <laughs> and texted right, me every single time he was watching. <laughs> screen grabs, Max. Screen grabs. <laughs> All right, Melly, what you got? So, um, as it turns out, uh, I had never watched Sopranos, and my wife had never watched The Wire. And so we kind of like traded off for a little bit, but then at some point I realized I was more into Sopranos and she wasn't into the wire. So we stopped that. But um, have you guys seen Yellowstone? No, it's amazing. It's no, heard good. Heard good things though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we uh, we're kind of not even through season one. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Just started season two, but it's, it's great. It is fantastic. Kevin Costner is like this, you know, billionaire rancher, uh, you know, around Yellowstone, park somewhere and it, it's it's fantastic i've written hey, down player give us the way to watch that for free though sam what, what what's the best way to watch that um <laughs> don't can't do it uh we're, we've been paying like a couple bucks on youtube uh for the early episodes we got season three recorded it's on uh it's not netflix it's not amazon it's some channel um paramount maybe is there a paramount network yeah paramount yeah yeah, but we yeah we've been paying a couple bucks for the episodes on YouTube. Is that wasted money? Do you have a better way for me? No, I mean I just I I'll take your login though. <laughs> Where I just My credit wanna... card to buy it on YouTube. <laughs> your I... login information. Yeah, I'm not doing that. <laughs> just just as a matter of record, I I early on in in the COVID, uh, <laughs> I was with and he was talking about you know how he was probably going to go go and you know, sharpen his Spanish and uh, maybe, you know, play a lot of music. And I remember thinking, okay, yeah, I'm going to use this time to uh, learn a language and an instrument. And instead I watched all those shows. <laughs> hey, Blair and, and Vahi, I think the young kids call it the Ron, not the COVID, the Ron. Write it down, the Ron. <laughs> Uh, so, so mine, everybody had seen Homeland, right? I was the last person to see Homeland. But uh, but one I came across was a show called Trapped. Uh, murder mystery set in Iceland. Uh, really well done. Uh, can't recommend Ice or uh, Trapped enough. Okay, let's um, let's start to wind it down with, um, uh, with, with, with this question. We actually had a little conversation about it earlier in the day, and that is prop bets. So I'm going to give you three, uh, three prop bets heading into this season involving the Chiefs. I want to know where you stand on this over or under Chiefs uh, victory total for the year. Vegas has it at 11 and a half, 11.5. Patrick Mahomes touchdown passes, 36 and a half. Patrick Mahomes interceptions, eight and a half. So are we going to go over or under those totals? By the way, the Chiefs 11 and a half leads the NFL. The Ravens are second at 11, and then I think the 49ers and the Saints right behind them at maybe 10 and a half. So let's start with you, Herbie. Let's go um, Let's go. Chiefs victory total over under. Patrick Mahomes um, touchdown passes and interceptions. Okay, I had to write it all down because there's like too many numbers. That's yeah. the reason why we're journalists because we suck at math. So I had to write these numbers down. 11 and 5. Uh, I'm going to take the over. And I know winning 12 games is hard in the National Football League, but with What's interesting to me is Andy Reid and the Chiefs have done it in three of the last four seasons. So going 12 and four is like a day at the office for the Chiefs. So I'm going to take the over. Patrick Mahomes is more than 36.5. Yeah. 
Yep, I'll take you over on that too. I, I think we've seen enough of this guy, and, and I'm just officially blown away from watching him at camp. The throws this guy can make, you see it on TV, but until you see it in person, this is something to behold. I'm taking the over, and for the interceptions, I'm also going to take the over because of those crazy throws. You know, sometimes uh, he has a little bit of Brett Favre in him sometimes. He may not throw as many interceptions as Favre, but a couple of them will get picked off. So I'm going over on all three. Okay. How about you, Sam McDowell? Um, this might seem kind of homerish, but I, I think I'm going over on the record. Uh, I mean, Patrick Mahomes is what, 23 and seven, I think. So 24 and seven is a starter. 24 and seven. Okay. Um, I think the chiefs are, I think they're 13 and three or even 14 and two this year. And I think that's a, just a bet on Patrick Mahomes health to take the over. Um, and apparently the, the guy is, is basically, you know, to, stretch Armstrong even with his knees. So I'm going to take the over on that. Um, 36 touchdowns. I mean, he averages two and a half touchdowns a game. So that, that gets you above, above 36 and the interceptions. Um, I'm trying to think of how many interceptions did he throw that, that first year? It was in the double digits. 10, I think, right? 10. Uh, I mean, just if your first year, he's only throwing that many. I think it's hard to predict he's going to throw nine this year. So I'm going to take the under on that one. Okay. All right, Melly, what you got? Um, as much as I, and I'm sorry, Sam, it was 12, uh, 12 interceptions the first year. But um, as much as I hate to do this, um, I am on Team Herbie with this um, over, over, over. The uh, the wins, I think you could you can make a you can make a case eleven and five or whatever. But if if Mahomes makes sixteen starts or I mean even fifteen, um, I. I honestly be surprised like very surprised if he didn't get to that touchdown number and uh and the interceptions that just seems like a very low number um for a guy that's going to throw it however you know he's going to throw it 60 some percent of of the snaps i just think that's a that's a really low number um they're playing some good defenses um so i'm, I'm going to take the over on all of them okay okay bye what you got um blair i may have answered this differently on a different forum earlier today <laughs> I feel by, uh, by the Sam McDowell case for, for over, over, under. Um, I, all it takes, though, are, you know, three tip passes that become an interception. But Patrick's pretty interesting about um, avoidance of high-risk passes despite the gambler in him or the apparent gambler in him. I, I think um, it, it, it's – he appears to many to do things that are more risky than they are. At least that's how I've come to view it. Um, so I'm, I'll, I'll go with my revised uh, over, over, under. Okay. All right. A couple of things to keep in mind. Mahomes threw 26 touchdown passes in the regular season last year. He missed, what, two full games and then basically three quarters of another. I don't – he wouldn't have gotten to – it would have been it would have been tough for him to get to 36. Maybe he would have gotten there. Um, but – I think that's a fair number. I think the 36 and a half is a fair number. I, I think the 11.5, how about this stat? Andy Reid's never gone under in, in the, in, in his seven years with the chiefs. Every year, his team has surpassed the over under total. So is that right? Holy cow. That's incredible. Yep. That is. So uh, I, that, that to me is the easiest one on the board. The, the one I struggled with the most was the, uh, was the interceptions. I'm, I'm going to go over on that as well. I just think, uh, um, uh, with a, with a new running back, I, I just look. I, I just think they'll circumstances will be such that he'll 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 average one point 
what two a game, something like that, or, or less. I'm sorry, no, uh, about half a half pick a game, get them to eight. Um, so I'm going over with that. Let's hey, let's end it on this. How about you guys have already put it out there a little bit? Some final records for the Chiefs. Um, I, we'll go in reverse order. I'll, I'll go first. Chiefs have never been better than 13 and three. Um, I'm going to go one better this year and say 14 and two. I think this team is capable of 14 and two. Uh, I really hope they get in 16 regular season games. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. all right, Vahe, you're up next. I'm uh, I, I'm going to go with the 13 and three. I'll I'll settle into that little groove. All right, uh, Melly. 13 and three. Yeah, um, I, they're fully capable. 14 and two, uh, but they. They got some tough teams on that schedule. I'll, right, I'll just harder for sure. Yeah. Okay, uh, Sam McDowell. You know, I think that there's three probable losable games with the Saints, um, Baltimore, and Buffalo all on the road, but I, I don't think they lose all three of them. So I'm going to say 14 and two. Okay. All right, Herbie, what you got? I'm going to go 12 and four, and I also have a bag of candy corn for Melly for being Team Herbie. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, buddy. <laughs> That's great. All right, you guys, uh, really great catching up with you. And a couple of programming notes uh, for uh, we'll be back after the game on uh, Thursday night, maybe Friday morning, depending on when the game ends, on Sportsbeat KC Live. Please join us then. Uh, Sportsbeat KC podcast drops every day. Sam's Mellinger Minutes for Your Ears drops on Friday. Great listen. Make, make sure you, you listen to that. Um, big thanks to Beth Welsh, our producer, for – Um, spinning the dials and putting up with us. So until tomorrow night, take care, you guys. So long. That'll do it for today. Thanks for sticking with us for a long episode. And thanks to our production staff of Derek Donovan, Randy Mason, Beth Welsh, Jeff Rosen, Chris Pickett, and Savannah Smith. Also, Monty Davis, who had a hand in today's production. Tip of the cap to my Chiefs coverage colleagues, Sam McDowell, Herbie Teope, Vahe Rivorian, and Sam Mellinger. You can read their stuff in the show notes and on KansasCity.com. Earlier in the episode, you heard me talk about the Sports Pass offer. It still stands and still a good one, 30 bucks for a year's worth of sports coverage. And that includes Sports Extra that comes with the E-Edition. There's more than 50 additional pages of national sports coverage today. Well, here's an even better offer. Buy the entire Kansas City Star product. Sports news features, commentary, analysis, the whole thing. You get all the stories written by my talented colleagues, plus additional sports news and business coverage with the E-Edition. The details can be found at account.kansascity.com slash subscribe. That's account.kansascity.com slash subscribe. And whether it's the Sports Pass or the full subscription, you're getting and supporting the best sports and news coverage in Kansas City and helping us produce programs like Sports Beat KC. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back on Thursday with another episode.